Yo, Eddie. Yes, Rolando? Happy Pride. How you doing? Happy Pride. How did we celebrate Pride? Uh, we were in Cape Cod. We were in Cape Cod. We went, did hit the tail end of uh, New York City Pride. And yes, was a little... <laughs> that was crazy. <laughs> uh, I never knew to never know. I never knew. I've never been to Pride so late, so it was a little jarring for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, a lot of people in certain yeah. spots, but uh, everybody. Happy Pride. Yes, we're wrapping up Pride Month. And uh, unfortunately, Nicole is not with us, so she has no pride. LOL. Just kidding. <laughs> but uh, I'm very happy to be able to have this episode with Eddie because we also will be joined by two very special guests, Kyle Getz and Mike Johnson of the podcast Gayish. If you guys haven't heard his podcast, it is a very, very excellent podcast that really breaks down gay stereotypes. Uh, so I'm very, very happy to have them on because we're going to be covering probably one of our gayest topics uh, that we've covered since the dawning of this podcast. Eddie, what are we covering? The phenomenal, the controversial, the historical, Queer as Folk. That's right. We are covering Queer as Folk. Three iterations of these stories. Uh, and uh, you know what? Nicole's not here. So as I told my guests, it's like when the kitty is away, the mice will play. So we're going to do this Rolando style, which means it's going to be all over the place, guys. So just be ready for a wild ride. <laughs> I'm Rolando. And I'm Eddie Z. And this is Remakes, Reboots, and Revivals. An original podcast about unoriginality. unoriginality. <laughs> we are joined today by Mike Johnson and Kyle Getz of the Gayish Podcast. Uh, let me give you guys a little bit info about them. Kyle Getz is well, goes by he they is a podcaster, writer, and filmmaker. In addition to being a host of Gayish, his poetry chapbook "Gays Don't Poop" was published by Gayo. Am I pronouncing that right? Yeah. Okay, uh, in 2021, and he released a documentary chronicling his intimate struggles with depression and self-harm. Kyle, thank you so much for joining us. And Mike Johnson goes by he, him. He's a podcaster, musician, and software engineer. In his spare time, he volunteers for his fraternity, is a board game fanatic, and loves all things Star Trek. Uh, my husband, too, loves all things Star Trek. What's your opinions on the new, uh, the new Strange Star Worlds? Trek? Yeah, look. All Star Trek is good Star Trek, period. <laughs> right, like like French fries. I, yeah, I I will I will love all of it till the day I die. Do I have my criticisms? Absolutely. And Strange mm-hmm. New Worlds is great. It's amazing. Yes, I've caught bits and pieces here and there when he watches it, and I think it's it's it's, it's good. I like that it's going back to like the old Star Trek style. So that's good. Uh, your thoughts, real quick, because we did cover this on the podcast, but Picard. Uh, Go. Love it, absolutely love it, and I I I liked season two better than season one. Um, oh, interesting! Wow, you're the first person. Yeah, well, <laughs> you're yeah. the first person. <laughs> All right, and uh, FYI, yes, I'm also in a fraternity. I was a Teak member when I was in my undergraduate. So okay, it's, it's great that you uh, volunteer for your fraternity. Yeah, I, I'm I'm the district governor, so I'm still involved in national leadership, and and so I'm the I'm the HMFIC in the Northwest up here for Sig Ep, Sigma Phi Epsilon, which you know that, Teak, we get along with Teak, we're 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 good, we're tight. That's good. Yeah, I'm glad. Uh, I don't think a lot of 
fraternities got along with my chapter at my right. school only because like we were kind of like the stoner kept to themselves kind of guys you know what i mean everyone else wanted to start fights with other fraternities we were just like too chill to do that you know <laughs> <laughs> uh and uh, so, yeah, so Mike and Kyle, they're both the hosts of Gayish. Gayish is an independent podcast where Mike and Kyle talk about a different gay stereotype each weekly episode from the hanky code and hand jobs to breakups and depression. A five time nominee for best LGBTQ podcast by the People's Choice Podcast Awards. Gayish has been featured in Oprah Magazine, Esquire, BuzzFeed and others really putting our podcast here to shame guys no. but, uh, <laughs> but no, that's congrats. our goal it's just yeah. trying to whomp every other queer person out there no uh congratulations guys on all your success uh also i mean you guys didn't put in your you, what was the other award the adult award you guys got nominated for yeah we were up for a cyber socket award which like cyber telling my socket. dad that i was up for a gay porn award was pretty fucking fantastic oh shit <laughs> i just cussed twice in a row is this oh, a cussing no, it's show? Fine. Okay. We, 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 we we have our explicit warning Oh, don't worry. <laughs> we did an NPR interview once, and I was like, "Just don't cuss. Just don't cuss. Just don't cuss. Just don't cuss. Just don't cuss." <laughs> yeah, I always knew that I belonged on the list of nominees, along with like Cade Maddox, and <laughs> you know, like that. We finally, I was like, "Yeah, this feels right. This feels normal." Did you guys? Oh, who, who was uh I mean, did you guys have a pot, uh, a porn star that you guys like were dying to meet, and did you guys get to meet them? Um. I got to meet Cole Connor, who's one of the lesser known ones, but mm-hmm. I've I've uh, stolen many videos about his orgies from the internet, um, <laughs> and so that was I. And it was just he just made some like snarky side comment, <laughs> um, and I just looked over and replied, and then was like, "Oh wow, I've seen you take so many dicks." That was in my head. I didn't say that out loud, <laughs> but um, it it was a lot of fun. And Mike. Uh, yeah, I mean, there were there were several there were several people that were nominated that didn't attend that I was looking forward to tr- like running into, but did get to meet Cade Maddox and uh, nice. m- uh, Trenton Ducati, who was very daddy at that event, um, mm-hmm. uh, and and that was that was that was good. Oh, I met Made my little Devin Franco, hat. who was yeah, Devin Franco was one of the big ones that I uh, wanted to meet, I, and I did. Okay, I was thinking of one of the Franco brothers, but that's not right. Devin Franco is a porn star. That's right. <laughs> yes, yes. I literally every time have to be like, wait, is this that <laughs> mediocre <laughs> actor or is this the porn guy? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, so, yeah. So, guys, once again, thank you guys for joining us. You guys are joining us because we're talking about queer as folk. Uh, you guys actually just recently covered that on your podcast. And I thought you guys did a great job. So I thought you guys would be great you know, guests for this episode, uh, because as I was listening, I think generally speaking, I agreed with a lot of the things you said. However, the critic in me was kind of screaming at times because, you know, where I've been watching, this is like over 150 remakes and reboots that we've had to cover for this podcast. And like, I think at a certain point you just become cynical. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I'm, I'm dying to talk about the new one because I think the new one is excellent fodder for, for the gay community to really queer community in general to talk about. Uh, Although full disclosure, guys, you guys were my second pick for this podcast. I guess <laughs> I did reach. I reached out to Johnny Sibili's, uh, uh agents to cover this episode, and also to Ryan O'Connell because I thought, hey, you know, why not? They did not even respond. So there you go. <laughs> it was an honor to be nominated. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Happily no, was I, yeah. for either of them. Oh uh, man, Johnny! If I, if only I mean, I really was trying to contact Johnny Sibili so I could just like get some FaceTime with him. That he's so hot. <laughs> no, uh, on the uh, on the remake, 
Um, but let's get right into it. So we're co- talking about Queer as Folk, and Queer as Folk is a British, or originally a British TV. It, so it aired in 1989 on Channel 4, focuses on the lives of three gay men living in Manchester's gay village around Canal Street. Uh, and it ran for about eight episodes, right? And a two-part follow-up in 2000. 2000. Uh, it was written by Russell T. Davies, who would go on to help reboot Doctor Strange. Doctor Who. Doctor Who, I'm Doctor sorry. Who Thank you, Doctor Who. Torchwood. And Torchwood. Oh, look at that. Um, yes. And so, uh, Queer as Folk, where does this title come from? So, Mike, I learned this from you. And oh, great. It was, yeah, it was a dialect expression from some parts of Northern England. There's not so queer as folk, meaning there's nothing as strange as people, which apparently is a wordplay for the English sense of queer as homosexual. So, apparently the original script called for the show to be called Queer as Fuck. However... Uh, censors kind of flag that even in Channel 4, which I think is the most risque of the British channels. Uh, so they kind of toned it down to queer as folk, which I think, you know, from a creative standpoint, is just like, that's still clever. Uh, and it was considered more suitable and stuff. And uh, the show does focus around three main characters. We have Alan Jones, who is highly sexually active, and he's also successful in his uh, career. Uh, I didn't... Just I do, full disclosure, guys, listeners here. Usually, me and Nicole do watch all these things. We did. I didn't really do much watching of the British show because I saw enough of the uh, Showtime one and the uh, remake that I felt like it's just like I could just watch some summaries online. But I can tell you right off the bat, I didn't find Alan as attractive as some of the newer castmates. So just saying, I'm throwing I'm throwing my two cents in there. Uh, <laughs> Isn't that what he, we do with with the U.S. TV show? It's like the British version, but hotter. Basically, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, looking at the yes. looking at the cast is just like that's what the American creators said. It's just like we're just gonna make this show, but like sexier and hotter. Yeah, uh, that's what we bring to the table. It's just yeah. like n- no additional substance, just maybe more abs. <laughs> I don't. And God bless America for it. You know. <laughs> <laughs> um, then there's also Vince Tyler, who he's uh, Alan's a uh, Stuart Allen's longtime friend. Uh, he's has less luck with men. And finally, there's 15 year old Nathan Maloney played by Charlie Hunnam, who is known for his role in Sons of Anarchy and, uh, the Pacific Rim film. And, uh, I think there's, well, the first episode has that very famous rimming scene, right? So Pacific Rim, rim job. Yep. Uh, yep. and, uh, yeah, he was 15 years old. So how do we feel about this guys? Like Eddie kind of was a little aghast when he saw it was 15 years old. How uh, any, any thoughts? Well, I mean, age of consent, I don't know what age of consent was in England at that time, but I, I assume that it was legal. And so it's, it's more of a, it, I don't know. I'm a rule following rule follower. So I'm like, Hey, if it's, if it's legal, go for it and don't feel bad. Mm-hmm. But I, I know that that's not necessarily a universal feeling. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we, um, gay people are particularly sensitive about this because we've so often been labeled as pedophiles that then we get held to a different standard than straight people are. And even when we're the ones that are following the law, we get labeled as the pedophiles, even though the Republicans here are the ones that are actually the ones uh, exhibiting the behavior that they are blaming us for. So I, I think I think we're 
protective or and cautious of this but like mike said we yeah we have we have laws that in place that say what the age of consent is and if we're following the law and believe like that that's what it should be then if as long as they're of age of consent then the then go for it yeah i had to assume the age of consent has to be around that age because the lesbians who gave birth to Stuart's child didn't seem to mind that there was a 15 year old child hanging out with them and uh personally i can't be too judgmental of this because i myself like by the time i was 15 i was like messing around with older guys because that's what i could had access to right i was too scared to mess around with kids uh, kids uh (laughs) teenagers my age so you go online looking for some fun and uh usually the older guys are what you find so I'm not I'm not going to pass judgment on that. Uh, has anyone here actually seen the original? So I just admitted that I have not. Uh, Eddie, have you seen the original? No, I didn't see the original. No, you haven't seen the original either. Uh, Mike or Kyle, anyone? Nope. Nope. I've seen clips of it mm-hmm. that, uh, yeah. but back before I knew the difference, I've seen clips of like I think someone like pouring water all over himself and that that, that was Stewart, yeah. I was just waiting for that scene in the U.S. version before I realized there was a difference because, like, that was one <laughs> one of the early ones that I was like, God, I can't wait for that dude to pour water all over himself. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, I think the most famous scene that I definitely saw was uh, Charlie Hunnam getting rimmed by, by Stuart. And, uh, you know, I mean, Charlie Hunnam is – he was cute back then. I think he did get hotter as he got older. I'm more of a fan of his body than necessarily his face. Um, that's just me. I don't know. You know, it's each their own, right? Uh, but yeah, so, but the British show, it was popular enough to, I mean, it was controversial when it came out, right? In, in England, uh, I think there was a little bit of a backlash in the gay community because they felt it was just, you know, feeding some stereotypes. Yeah. And uh, I think as the show progressed, like the, one of their sponsors like pulled out, then after that, sh- after that sponsor pulled out, there was another backlash from the gay community and it was Beck's beer, so they tried to come back in, and they were like, "Nah, we don't, we don't want your sponsorship here." So, the gay community seemed to have like an on and off again relationship with this show, right? Like, and I think that's fair. Like, when a show is this sexually explicit and uh, trying to show you a fantasy version of queer life, I think it's very easy to kind of uh, really be divisive in the gay community. Uh, I think that can definitely be said to the Showtime version which i'm just gonna just go right into so after these the (laughs) executives in showtime kind of caught eye of the success of queerest folk for channel four and they decided let's bring it here so the producers uh let me just get their names it was the producer sorry guys uh the producers for showtime were where are the names i just i just had this Kyle, are you frozen? I don't think so. <laughs> he sees, oh. uh, he comes in and out for me, but... Oh, great. <laughs> okay, yeah. So it was Ron Cohen and Daniel Lipman. They were... Uh, they were, they developed a show. What happened was that they were under contract for a different show. The funding fell apart. So after a little the little setback, they kind of discovered the show Queerest Folk. And decided, okay, we can pitch this to American audiences. And Showtime was the network that decided to give it the green light. And uh, the goal that Ron and Daniel had was to show a very, very uh, 
they call it real, ver- like a real depiction of gay life, but I think it's just so hypersexual and so uh, it glamorizes drugs and like kind of fit bodies that it's not necessarily, it's, it's also fantasy. This is just a very fantastical life that they're showcasing uh, in that is now set in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So, uh, Eddie, I'm going to let you take it here. Do you want to talk about the characters and kind of the storylines a little? Oh, okay. Um, well, I don't know if I agree if it was fantastical. You don't think? But, but more raw. Definitely. And I mean, they definitely so dealt. Yeah. And it definitely dealt not only with kind of the rawness, the sexual energy of, of the gay community, um, but but just also the um, the general struggles that we deal with, like being in the closet, having to be in the closet at work, uh, dealing with uh, certain levels of persecution, um, gay bashing. Um, so it, it definitely oh, HIV and AIDS mm-hmm. um, during that time period and how it, you know how people were treated. Um, so it so like you said, it takes place in Pittsburgh and it focuses on kind of four friends. Um, for gay friends, their relationships, their loves, their lives, um, and the, their ambitions. Um, so we have uh, Brian Kenny, which we consider to be what, like our fuckboy. Oh, yeah. he is. He is. He may come across as cold-hearted, um, but there's, as you see, progress. There's something deeper about Brian that we get to explore when he meets uh, Justin. Um, he is best friends with, um, the boy next door, the geeky guy, uh, Michael and Michael's kind of like a little bit of whiny, but he's kind of the heart of, of, of the group, Mm -hmm. you know, um, he seems to understand, uh, Brian, like no other, he puts up with Brian. He's the most patient with Brian's shenanigans. Um, and you know that he has this deep love and is in love, you know, uh, with Brian. Then you have Emmett Honeycutt and um, kind of the queen of the group. <laughs> self-proclaimed queen, a uh, little femme. Um, but there's, there's something just like very um, special about Emmett. And and his when, last name was Honeycutt? Yeah. yeah. Wow. And when okay. he talks about his life <laughs> and he, ta- he talks about his journey, about like having to, when he finally... Um, decides that he's going to live his life the way he sees fit. He's going to be who he is. Um, this is something just so beautiful about that character. And there is the un- the understated Ted, who is so insecure about who he is and his looks um, that, uh, you know, he just kind of plays kind of like in the shadow of these characters. But if there's one character that gets, one character arc that gets put through the ringer, is Ted, you know, we see definitely from from the beginnings on how you know going to a coma, treating with uh, drug addiction. Ted got in a coma. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, okay. Losing wow. losing everything, having to pick himself from the ashes, uh, and so forth. Uh, betraying his friends and then earning his friends' trust. So definitely, Ted was one of one of my uh, at least his storyline was one of my one of my favorites uh, there. Um, and it's, it's, and then we have Justin and Justin is kind of like coming of age, coming out, um, is a twink that meets up with Brian and loses his virginity to Brian. 
and then falls and in love then, with Brian and falls in love. And then yeah. we see this kind of like love arc relationship in the five in the seasons uh, between Justin and Brian and how um, Justin changes Brian or or breaks through um, kind of Brian's shell. Mm-hmm. And uh, you see you see you see um, the deeper and, and more. um how do you say tender moments that that Brian that Brian's character brings to the show? I forget yeah. how old was Justin supposed to be at the beginning of that show. Seventeen. He starts off seventeen. Seventeen. Yeah. I think that's okay. a little more Brian, palatable Brian for American was 29. Yeah. Brian was twenty nine. Brian was twenty nine. Yes. Again, I. So I I must have been when I first saw the show I was like fourteen. So I was at the time I was fourteen. I definitely was still a virgin, but. I was already online, like talking to guys on AOL chat rooms and stuff at that age, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, just fantasizing and stuff. So, in the the age thing never bothered me then. It's still, I mean, I guess as I got older, I realized, that, oh, this is kind of a little icky. But you know, as a gay guy, it's just like, but as I could put myself back into those young days, it's just like I could put myself there. I know, like I know what it's like to be young and like horny and stuff. So it's like, who who am I to judge? So I guess that just leads me to the questions. Like, when did you guys all watch this show? Like, how old were you all? Like, out of curiosity. I uh, did not watch it while it was out. I watched mm-hmm. it, I think, in 2010 or so. Okay. When I, um, after I graduated college, I moved up to Seattle. I had my own place and I was like, oh, I can do anything I want. I like lived alone. And so I finally was like, Oh my God, I can watch this show without feeling like I have to hide it. Like I still, there was still some part of me, even though I lived alone that I was watching and I felt like, you know, who's going to see me watching mm-hmm. this show with the sex in it and the gaze. Yeah. So I've just, that had been trained into me, but I, yeah, I watched it. Uh, uh, so I, I guess that was five years after it. Yeah. Uh, five years ended. after it, it ended, uh, cause the show lasted five seasons. Uh, DVDs were they DVD rentals or on Netflix or whatever? Ne- okay, got it. Or got show it. Or whatever. Yeah, streaming it might have been one of those streaming apps. It was on Netflix for a while. Yeah, it was okay. on Netflix for a while. Yeah, uh, Mike. Hmm. Uh, well, yeah. So there's this little problem that I was married to a woman in the early early 2000s, and um, uh, <laughs> so I I couldn't that that wasn't going to help out my street cred for like mm-hmm. passing as straight, you know. <laughs> so. Uh, I didn't watch it at the time. I have caught some episodes here and there, like when it's on repeat, like because uh, it's in it's in uh, it was in syndication for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I, I don't know that I've seen every episode, nor do I think I necessarily have like, you know, you like you see an episode from season two and then season four and then season one, and you're like, what what the fuck is going on? It's like a blender in my head. So yeah, yeah. So you don't um, have yeah. like any continuity to some of these characters, right? Stuff. Yeah, yeah. Which is more or less how I can relate to the to watching this show initially, right? I did watch uh, I did watch some of this show in order for the podcast, but I was watching it in secret. I was like thirteen, fourteen because I was you know young. Uh, but I did have at that. I remember at that age, like I was already watching like porn because like we had a hot cable box, and I was just obsessed with just watching porn. And this was the first time I was watching like softcore gay porn. Basically, that's what it felt like. Watching it, so I was just watching it in secret and just enjoying the shit out of it. Uh, <laughs> despite the, I, I no clue who these characters were or anything, I wasn't necessarily paying attention to the storyline. I was just in, watching these 
just men sometimes go at it and just waiting for those scenes to happen. So sometimes it would just be a matter of like me flipping channels and then turning back to Showtime to see it's just like, are they doing it yet? Oh my God, they're doing it. <laughs> and I'm going to watch. Um, Eddie, what about you? When did you start watching this? Oh my God. So much later. Um, I was in college. So yeah, I remember hearing about it mm-hmm. from other people in passing, like criticizing it, criticizing the show. I grew up very Catholic, Catholic environment, Catholic friends, youth group, all that um, stuff. Went to the Catholic university. So kind of watching it in my dorm um, on my laptop. Um, didn't know why, but sometimes under the covers. Uh, <laughs> just, you know, even though I had my own room. Um, just, yeah. Yeah. And then I, that, that was my discounter with it. And I went, like, I would rent it. I would rent it from Blockbuster, actually. <laughs> and... And um, I just went through the whole, all the seasons. I was like really fascinated with this show. The, I, for me, there was nothing else like it. Wasn't mm-hmm. there was nothing at all um, that I can um, that called my attention. That wasn't like I mean I seen gay movies, mm-hmm. uh, but everything was always so sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? mm-hmm. here was just like just people living their lives, and it was just like my God, is it you know like. Wow. Yeah. And that is, yeah, and that makes sense, right? Because I think gay depiction in 2000, I wish Nicole were here because she would have a great history lesson on what yeah. gay depiction was. <laughs> yeah. Uh, sorry, guys. Nicole's not here. She is a history buff. But I do know, for example, like we were reaching the tail end of Will and Grace that had been on a few uh, at this point. Uh, which was a comedic version of like what gay life was, which I actually watched. And that one I watched like publicly right because it was like safe to watch that one at home uh 2003 we saw the premiere of queer eye for the straight guy and that show shockingly i was more embarrassed about i i actually had more feelings about queer eye for the straight guy than i did for queer as folk because in my mind at a young age i was associating queer as folk as more just kind of smut Mm. as opposed to queer eye for the straight guy which back then i was more i had like these feelings of just like this is this is more of a mockery of the gay community as far as I was concerned until I, we did it for the episode. This was, I think was one of our second episodes that we did for this podcast. And, you know, I realized it's like, Oh no, there is definitely a lot more to, to queer for the straight guy, but queer as folk, I always felt like it was just like, just smut. So I never really paid attention to all of the storylines and, uh, watching this, I got to say like some of these characters I was, uh, kind of drawn to. So Ted is easily one of the most relatable ones. Uh, I, I can definitely say like, <laughs> the drug use in this show didn't affect me. The hypersexuality didn't affect me. But my God, the way all these men looked is mm. what affected me the most. As a fat Hispanic kid, I never realized my otherness until really watching this show, especially in the gay community. And mm-hmm. that, and it's something that you just cannot escape for so long because even then, like soon after, as I'm progressing to just straight up real porn, it all becomes like these white, muscular men. Uh, I'm talking Sean Cody, uh, Randy Blue and stuff. And that's just something you just can't escape, right? So, like, this is where I think I had my flawed relationship with this show, Queer as Folk, is kind of the, the just the negative image I had of myself as, uh, as you know, growing up gay. And uh, it without, you know, that's something. And it's not this show's fault. Like, that's just media in general. But that, that, that for sure was one of the hardest parts about, about the show for me. 
I don't know how you guys. I, I mean, you, uh, Mike, Kyle, you guys are both white men. Like, how do how do you feel about we this portrayal are? about no. like? <laughs> <laughs> how do you guys feel about this portrayal of like white gay life? Yeah, I, I, it's interesting because I didn't realize the, um, you know, I was the white cis gay man that they were. So um, on on one hand, yeah, I didn't until I got older realize how um, how little other depiction depictions of other types of people in the queer community you know how, how little there was um so but you know even this for me it was it was um it it was also what i was supposed to be in my mind this was i had seen episodes of uh, uh queer eye i had seen episodes of will and grace but this was the first i mean brokeback mountain was the other thing that i saw mm. before this this is the first tv series i can really remember that i saw like every single episode unless you count kathy griffin's my life on the d list which is also the gayest <laughs> show i've watched mm-hmm. but um but i like this is this is who i was supposed to be and there was so much about this that i did not connect to and yeah the 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 fact that they were at the gym that that's where they their group of friends met up to hang out was at the gym. You were supposed to just be at the gym every day and and that's their central perk. That's their bar. That's their, you know, hangout. Uh, d- did not relate to that. And, and I wish that this wasn't my first and one of my, at the time, only depictions of, of gay life. But there's a lot in there that um, taught me what I was supposed to be. And that really stuck with me and has stuck with me you know, even now, even as we've gotten more and better representation. Mm-hmm. Mike, what about yourself? Like, I know you, so you, I know you mentioned that you were married, so you weren't necessarily watching this as it aired. Although, right. fun fact, the show's highest ratings came with, like, straight women. Sure. Uh, For the show, like, because apparently there was just nothing like it yet on TV, mm. which is, well, not necessarily the, the, the queer stories. It was more so, like, the, the drama and the drama. The drama. That Be- just wasn't on air yet. Yeah, before Desperate so- Housewives, mm-hmm. there was queer as folk. <laughs> so, apparently, yeah. this is so, it found its footing in, like, women, really. Uh, women and gay men is, is really where this show took off. But, uh, but Mike, in terms of, like, uh, its portrayal of, like, what it, I mean, what, it's kind of portraying gay culture, but I guess for me as a Hispanic man, I'm just like, I always saw it as just like specifically white gay culture, right? So like, I don't know, like, how did that make you feel and everything? Uh, maybe when you're watching it, like when you're out of the closet, how, how, what's going through your mind? Well, one thing about privilege is that you don't realize you have it until mm-hmm. somebody like lets you know, right? Or or right. you ex- experience some other way, right? So I, I think like my, my first time through, I grew up in a, in a super white town in a conservative part of the world. And so, like, if you if all you see is white people on TV, you don't think anything about it until then. I I moved to Seattle, which is a much more integrated, racially diverse place to be, and you start talking to your friends about it, and they're like, "There's nothing but white people on Queers Folk," and then you realize, mm-hmm. like, "Ding, aha! You're super right about that." Oh my goodness, right? Um, and but I, I also wanted to talk briefly though about how how there were parts of the the queer community that reacted to queer as folk mm. with like a shame reaction right mm-hmm. like like is this is airing this dirty laundry to straight people where they can see it a good idea right. and at the same time it is our dirty laundry right like all of the things that they talk about hypersexuality drugs alcohol abuse uh, uh, all of those things are very real problems mm-hmm. for the queer community 
and and so I I just think it's interesting. Like you can't react with shame unless there's probably some kernel of truth there that you're fighting against. So yeah, um, it's uh, yeah. There's also maybe a yeah. chicken chicken and egg problem though. Of like, did this show create that culture? Or did this show just show a culture that was already there? Excellent point. It's true. So when this show was, I think, announced, like obviously, like the million moms. I think they were like the one of the original protest groups that sure. were like very much all, against this show. All twenty four right? of them. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, but not just that, the other backlash did come from the gay community itself because, as you pointed out, they felt it's just like whoa, 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 whoa. This is like we're just really showing stereotypes here that I don't. Is that what we wanted to put our our foot forward? And uh, it's one of those things in media. That's so interesting when it comes to like representation of minority groups, where I think there is this idea of like if we put something, if we have a gay character, sometimes that's enough. So if we have sorts of the featured gay characters, that's enough. Is it uh, then the next stage is like, but now we had to have flawed gay characters. And I think that's where this show was successful, right? Like having uh, uh, flawed gay characters. I mean, let's be very honest. Uh, Brian is the main character, right? Like he is yeah. he's kind of awful right like he is he's just not a a, a, you know i hate to say it he's just not a good person per se and it's not because of his it's not his hypersexuality that makes him a bad person right it's the way he just treats people as like just things is kind of what makes him so terrible and he has like this for main character he has like this weird hate towards heteronormality which I find myself a little conflicted now because, you know, I did a heteronormative thing of marrying a man, right? But I wanted this. It's like that I chose. He And this main character, Brian, is just so outspokenly against it. Uh, yeah, but know, when, yeah. You, when you take the, see, when you take the whole story, right? You look at the whole story, you see that that, that character evolve, that, that there is changes in that character, too. And you get to see, too, when you meet his parents, mm-hmm. why there's that hatred. Mm. coming from you know where, where where all this stuff is coming from this is not this, it doesn't come from a vacuum you know they develop they give a little origin story here give a little background they flesh things out with brian and you see okay you know maybe this is why he deals with shit this way this is why he's kind of closed off um this is why he doesn't let anybody in or this is you know and then you see when when he does give you know when he is generous um it's always in the background it's always like him like doing something and he doesn't need the world to know. He doesn't need to announce it. He does something and that's it. He puts it out there. No, so it's interesting that Brian would have like the shitty family life because I think one of the smartest things they did with Michael was kind of give a mom who's quite the opposite, right? Like his mom is so down with the gay that I was Debbie. I, De- yeah, I was Debbie. just so je- I was so jealous. I was so jealous because I mean I didn't come out to my mother until Eddie like when we were dating, right? Like that was like what eight years ago, and that's because she caught us. So like it's uh- like I had no choice. <laughs> um, so um, not caught us in the act. I just want to clarify this. She caught us like me trying to sneak him in. So oh, okay. uh, I had this uh, some explaining to do, but she we were still caught. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so like it uh, and like. So many of these episodes, Hal Sparks, uh, who plays Michael Novotny, he is always just so, like, kind of like, ugh, mom, you're so embarrassing kind of attitude. And if, I remember there's such a, a, I don't know, it's like this idea of, like, the grass is always greener, right? Like, he should be so happy 
that mm-hmm. he has a mom who's so supportive uh and stuff I, you know not to pry but like i don't know how to like i, I don't know if you see this relationship on screen like how do you guys feel like do you guys feel like jealous are you guys saying it's just like it's not realistic is you know is it too is it silly is it too like fantasy I loved this depiction, especially because it was a contrast to the things that we usually saw of the main gay character there, mm-hmm. you know, that we talked about a lot of stereotypes that they um, dealt with, but this is one that I thought flipped the uh, stereotype. And they also did it in a way where it, there was still character conflict and, and good or bad, regardless of how, you know, sometimes we were like, ah, oh, Michael, you have it so good, but, but also they need their, the mother and son to have conflict and conversation and, and, and issues. And so they had, they had them in a way that wasn't based in, I hate you and I want to kick you out. So I, I really like that, especially considering Justin, um, had the, had that whole kind of storyline of coming out and, you know, his mom having to come around and all that. Like, we didn't need that twice. And right. it's nice to have a supportive parent figure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that was one of the one of the cool things that they did that that was new and unique uh, in this in this yeah. show. And what I found interesting about Debbie is that she was always the sense of home hmm. for all the characters there. That diner? So, well, not even just a diner, oh. but ev- everywhere Debbie was, it was like home because she cared about everyone. Yeah. You know, uh, she was the mom for everyone. She opened her doors when Justin had no place to go. Mm-hmm. Justin had a home, you know, and she took care of her brother who was uh, HIV positive. Mm-hmm. Um, That's right. And, uh, you know, she, she was always that, that caretaker, that loving, that, you know, that joy, that spirit, you know, and also knew about tough love because she didn't take shit from anybody. Mm. Did not take shit from anybody. She put everybody in their place, especially Brian. Mm. Yeah. And for this generation of ZV, actually, thank you for bringing up the HIV positive brother. Like, I don't think up to this point, I don't think we'd seen a HIV positive gay man for on TV, like, as a character for a long time. Like, it had been a while. Again, Nicole would probably correct me and know exactly when this <laughs> happened. But as far as I remember watching this, like, I don't remember seeing uh, uh, prior to this, like, oh, you know, like, Will and Grace. Like, I don't think – did HIV ever come up on Will and Grace? Does anyone remember? I don't remember see, hearing about uh, as a topic on, on, the sh- on, on that show. Uh, so I don't remember it, no. Yeah, and – that's like the first major gay show that I grew up with. And it was never like brought up. Uh, I, I learned about HIV through like the history books and stuff. So I think when it, you know, it, it's not history. It's not gone. It's not like a disease of long past. Like, yeah, we can manage it. Yes, we can. Uh, we can prevent it. But like, it's still a disease out there. And I think it, this was one of the show that had like kind of these real depictions of HIV gay men. Because it was, you know, focused around gay stories. So, yes, thank you for reminding me. Um, do you guys think you guys... I mean, how do you guys think... Would you think your life would be very different if you had a mom like Debbie? Like, well, I was going to say, I, 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 I do have a mom like Debbie. My, my mom oh, is basically Debbie Nabotny. She's, you know? she's ridiculously supportive. She's on our show all the time. She Aww. cusses like a sailor, won't stop talking about her and other people's sex lives. She used to sell dildos for a while. Like nice. my, 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 my mom. And it's interesting because this phenomenon that you're talking about of like being then like the, the surrogate mom for all of these characters is very much the, the relationship that a lot of our listeners have with my mom. Mm-hmm. Like, like they don't Aww. they don't have their own moms in their lives and they really respond to her on the show and and her her, her presence. And 
I, I don't know. That's that's the most annoying thing about Michael Novotny and to a lesser extent, um, Mingus from the new show. Mm-hmm. Having a mom like that is awesome because like the alternative, the alternative is so much more painful. And I, mm-hmm. I, I see people who've been disowned by their families and like legit have severe friction with their parents. I wouldn't I wouldn't trade that for the world. So like quit your whining, Michael, you know, <laughs> Abs- mm-hmm. absolutely uh agree i mean my mom for example she was at my own wedding and uh i think it was the wedding where like she realized like it clicked for her it was like oh my god this is really happening this is a gay wedding i'm in and yeah. you can see her she's walking down the aisle with me she's like almost like a deer in headlights uh she came around like during the reception obviously uh, thank <laughs> yeah, god. She, she came around quickly she, uh, took a lot of alcohol but like no i i will never forget this right like uh because my mom, up to this point, like, she had been making great strides. And then, like, she was ready for the wedding. Yeah. But, like, it just, like, it was a reality. And it's just, like, yeah. uh, Debbie would never, that would never be Debbie's case. Like, Debbie would be r- planning that wedding, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which I think, did she was she involved with the wedding planning? Because I know that uh, Michael gets married at the end, but I, 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 I haven't caught up to there. I don't remember. Do you remember, Kyle? No. No. no Michael, Michael, um... Is it like a small Michael wedding? Michael and Ben get married, and they get married like it was an impromptu thing. Mm, okay, got it, it got improm- it. I feel like Debbie it was should like be... in a bike tour. I don't believe that for Debbie. She, Debbie she was would've... upset, but uh, yeah, like that. I believe. Upset. Like I would be but furious. She wasn't really. Uh, let me let me steer this shit back because I know we started talking a little bit about Mingus, and I'm so excited because <laughs> I have thoughts on that too. Uh, so I guess what is everyone's relationship here with the show now? Right, like the 2000 to 2005 queer as folk is it a show that we like do we avoid it do we not talk about it with people because it's not like (laughs) it's one of these shows where i think when it came out it was like very culturally significant right and yet you know time passes and like people have almost like forgotten about it if not for this reboot that had just come out but you know i don't know why is that like i mean how do you what, what are your opinions on the show like do you guys still think about it is it a show you think about is it just like days of past I remember the show a lot. This made a huge impression on me. And even even before the this new reboot, it was something that I thought about a lot mm-hmm. as a gay man and um, uh, definitely made its mark on me. If I try to think, you know, outside of myself, I think it was big for, you know, the sexual revolution and, and freedom mm-hmm. of, of sex. I think there's a good thing there of, you know, we're gay, but fuck it. We're, we're going to have sex and it's okay to show, you know, us and our sex and what we want. Um, but of course there's so many, so many stereotypes, whether that's surfacing what's happening or surfacing what's more likely to happen in our community. There's so much that I took away from that, that I thought was an expectation out of me as a gay man that I, 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 if I was ever like a video games cause, cause kids to be violent, like this is the closest I get to that. I don't Mm -hmm. believe that, but this is the closest I get to be like queer as folk made me this way. So some of the shitty things that either I've done or whether that's drug use, whether that's sex, because I thought I was supposed to, or I have not, this unfortunately is not encouraged me to go to the gym at all, but I just, so I just feel bad about myself. But like any of those feel like, I don't know, a lot of those feelings I think came from this show. And I think if it wasn't going to be this show, there was going to be another show that showed the same thing. Like it's hard to escape some of those stereotypes in our media, but um, I, I personally really struggle with this show and have a lot of very negative feelings personally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's absolutely fair. Uh, Mike, yourself? 
Yeah, the I, the the original American queerest folk is super white, super cis, s- <laughs> super able bodied, and, and and all of those things are it just wouldn't fly today. But I also like to go back to Star Trek, right? If you watch Star Trek, the original series from the '60s, it was groundbreaking and a cultural touchstone and moved the needle on so many things and it is terrible it would not fly <laughs> on today's television for a number of reasons nor should it so you just have to kind of appreciate it for what it was say mm-hmm. thank you for what it did and never speak of it again right and i i, I think that that's that's where queerest folk is this this the, the first american version i think it was important mm-hmm. i think it moved the needle on a lot of things i i think it's culturally significant and i don't know that i can recommend it as a show now mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah excellent no i think that i think that's absolutely fair and uh i think what you said is true that would never fly today and i think that's how we got to queer as folk 2022 the peacock original so a little mm-hmm. background on the show queer as folk it was originally supposed to be a bravo show uh i think we covered i think we announced it on our podcast in our new segment like years ago and uh, it was a show that had been many rumblings about for a long time like they had been trying to reboot the show for quite some time uh it was like i said originally announced for bravo however in 2019 it was announced that it would be in development for peacock which was the new service that they were like developing at the time yeah. and uh in april 2021 uh peacock ordered the full series and uh I think it was it was released in June, mid June. Uh, the full series dropped, unlike uh, other Peacock shows where it's like week by week. Uh, and uh, let me see, the Stephen Dunn he was set to write and direct, and uh, Dunn has indicated that this incarnation of the series was inspired directly by Davies's Davies original series as a jumping off point, stating that he didn't want the Showtime, he did not take the Showtime adaptation into consideration which i find interesting when shows try to do this because it's like then why why take the name like why hold on to the moniker queer as folk if you're not going to do i know there were some nods in the show but it's just like but it's still it's just like just make it an original storyline that's just my gripe uh which i'll I'll gripe about a little later but one of the major differences between this show is its setting it is set in new orleans which is one of my favorite cities in the yeah. u.s so i think when i yeah as soon as i found out it was new orleans I'm just like well i'm watching this because like this is <laughs> this is my town like, like i keep telling eddie it's just like we're gonna retire in new orleans and you know hopefully the hurricanes will be taken care of with the uh, global warming fingers yeah. crossed <laughs> you know uh and the next major change in the show is its diversity right we have racial and ethnic diversity we have the queer sexual spectrum on full display and uh, we also see something that i don't think as far as i know i don't think i've ever seen in media which is just like really really stark depictions of queers with disabilities mm. and uh, i found that fascinating i think the close well i shouldn't say never because i did see the show special uh, starring Ryan O'Connell, who is one of the writers on this show, and he's also one of the actors. He plays Julian, uh, but uh, we'll, we'll I'll get a little, a little more into that. But uh, and then the biggest biggest difference here with Queer as Folk is that this has kind of like an overreaching arc, and that is there. This is the aftermath of a shooting that was inspired by the Pulse shooting in Miami. Uh, and uh, I think I learned from you guys that this was released the same weekend as like the on- uh, the anniversary. Yep. 
Okay, that's uh, I think yeah, because I remember when I found that I was like, huh, that's a interesting bold move by Peacock to to do that. Um, but they did it. They released yep. it all. <laughs> uh, so, uh, anyone want to dive right in? Like, I'm just gonna say some character. I'm just gonna, you know what? Let me just go into some of the characters and story arcs, and then we can just talk about it. But we have Brody. right in like Brody did yeah. into Mingus's ass. Oh, <laughs> okay, yeah. So Brody, my main note I have here is that he is just the worst. He's the uh, worst. He's, he's the absolute the worst. worst. I don't know how he functions as a human it's, being. It's his like his character contradicts itself. Like his origin to who he is now, th- there's makes no sense to me, hmm. and um, total miss opportunity. With this character, can, yeah, I don't can, know. Can you say more about that? I don't. I don't know oh, if yeah, I. Go ahead. Go if, ahead. If, if I get what you're saying. All right. So you have him. Like he, he starts out. Well, when you see flashbacks, right? So he's this honor student. He is pressured by his father. That he's going to be a doctor. He's going to go to medical school. He feels like everything is mapped out for him. Um, and um, you, you just see like an overall nice guy. But then when we int- we're introduced to him. He's left medical school, um, and there is this kind of like, I don't know, this no sense of, of like, a, there's a certain stupidity when he approaches people. Yeah, and he has just like, like no has, emotional or emotional intelligence. There we go. In That's his it. his approach to to people, and the missed opportunity is is that they only show his dad like, like little scenes here and there, but there should have been kind of an overall tension going on. I mean, he went mm-hmm. off to medical school. Um, it seemed that he left kind of like abruptly, mm-hmm. left from people's lives abruptly, and then he kind of shows up and everything's okay, coming through the window, and kind of his dad is like, okay, when are you going to leave? You know? <laughs> yeah. But I thought that they would be like, the way the flash, the, the way they present the flashbacks, kind of more tension mm-hmm. between father and son, mm-hmm. which they just totally don't a- explore. Yeah. I think my yeah one of my biggest gripes with Brody is just like outside of the lack of emotional intelligence, he is just so immature that like I cannot fathom the fact that he got into medical school. Like I'm not, <laughs> I, I, we know you don't have to necessarily be the smartest person because there are some medical professionals out there who do promote like anti-vax shit. So mm-hmm. like I, I I can forgive that, but like his lack of like just awareness and reading social cues is just like mind-boggling that anyone would exist like this. So he was incredibly frustrating to watch on screen. Like I don't know how you guys felt. And the ability, the gift that he has of playing the victim them oh, when yeah. it's all his fault and <laughs> deciding that you know what because you're talking to me and you're telling me the, the stuff that I did wrong I'm going to walk away because I can't handle an argument or confrontation so I'm just going to walk away mm-hmm. uh, how do you guys so, feel about uh, yeah. Brody so uh, when I when I hate a character this much uh-huh. I consider it a win on the part of the art Right. Like, like we're supposed to hate him. He's a malignant narcissist. Mm -hmm. He is a deeply flawed person in a a way that's supposed to give us horrible, awful feelings. And and Mm -hmm. they did that super successfully. I also think, you know, pretty privilege is a thing. He is smoking ass hot. Mm -hmm. And I think that that makes for a, a certain constellation of personality traits that we see fairly accurately depicted here. Okay, that's fair. So I actually I love the character because I because he's insufferable. Mm, okay, uh, Kyle, any feelings that you have on 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 Brody? I mean, 
I'm attracted to bros and people with the name that starts with bro. So I have nothing bad to say about him. He's a perfect, flawless human. No, I, um, um, I, I love deeply flawed characters of any mm-hmm. sort. And I love the fact that I think there's a kind of gay representation that is trying too hard to be nice and be like, mm-hmm. okay, well, we've had all these bad or sexualized or whatever representation and they try to swing the other way and make them too good or too mm-hmm. try to make them too perfect or, or nice or, or I don't know, some something that doesn't feel authentic. I think it's more authentic to have a yeah, very the- deeply flawed character with real story and, and just someone that makes the wrong decision, bad decision than a, you know, a perfect package of a gay character. I, I think you're right. I think there is a problem when media tries to give us very sanitized versions of characters uh and they did not do that with brody right like brody is absolutely flawed i think maybe my biggest qualm might be that he the actor himself wasn't very very good at times there's a scene where he's giving like a uh he's supposed to give like this very impassioned plea to bussy the drag queen to let mingus perform and it came i I was cringing i was just like Mm. this is just not (laughs) this is just not good good acting Mm. on Mm. this part but uh, do you guys think that he makes a good main character? Um, because by all means, yeah, he is the main character. A lot of the stories will flow from him. Uh, he's not the only character, obviously, but he because this is kind of an ensemble cast. But like a lot of the plot is derivative of. Brody's experiences and how people I, react and how people react to him. I, I think the main character is actually not a person at all, but it's Brody and Ruthie's Ooh. relationship. I, I think okay. that, that the, the way that it evolves and changes and where it came from and where it ends up going, mm-hmm. I, I think is, is the main, the main character. And um, so he's half of a main character and okay. And <laughs> after saying all these really great things about the character, I, um, uh, I, I think their relationship as a main character is the my biggest gripe with the series. I oh, I I, I, so, I didn't like it at all. Okay, great. So let's talk a little bit about Ruthie. She's played by Jesse James Keitel. I think she has like just this ethereal presence on screen. I loved her. Mm-hmm. Uh, like she's just great. I think she's so captivating. Mm-hmm. Uh, she is a trans character, and uh, we do get to see a little bit of her flashback where we see her before she transitioned and like coming to terms with even being trans and the relationship that she had with Brody. So it turns out that her and Brody were ex lovers. They weren't. So we see them as best friends in the show, but we, I wasn't aware until that very point that they were, they were in a relationship. Uh, And Ruthie is also the uh, mother to Brody's child that she has with Char, who is her, Girlfriend, yeah, girlfriend, her yeah. girlfriend, yeah. Uh, Char is uh, her her lover, and they are going to have a kid. Brody is a sperm donor, very similar to the original Queerest Folk storyline of like the lesbian couple having uh, having the kid with Brian. The they, difference yeah. here being uh, non gender conformity. Because uh, Char is non binary, right? So she. I was He's just going to say that Char's yeah. non-binary, so I, mm-hmm. I don't even know if lesbian is an appropriate term. You're for right. The relationship I didn't even think there. about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah so that be her partner, not her girlfriend. Her yeah, partner, yeah. right? Okay, my mistake. Uh, see, and this is I'm constantly. This is where I'm constantly correcting myself. Like, 
uh i it's hard for straight people it's hard for us too you know (laughs) oh no yeah absolutely and you just try to be respectful as possible but yes you're right her partner char uh they are they give birth to twins that are brody's biological children uh yeah i yeah i think she was just i think she was just such a presence on screen i think she made such Ruthie, we're talking about. She made yeah. such poor decisions that I also <laughs> felt like were a little bit silly at times and a little contrived. I think she was a little bit too cool with Brody's relationship or lack thereof with Mingus as a teacher because I feel like she should know better. Like she could have gotten in trouble for that. Yeah. No, I I said. I mean, I said on her <laughs> on our show. Like my favorite moment um, in the pilot is when she gave mingus like mm-hmm. like upgraded their grade to whatever a d at for no other reason than him in than them intentionally using the i'm queer and you're queer and they just leaned into that and ruthie was like okay and did it and it was like there was no good justification as a teacher that was definitely a bad move that was not a perfect move but it was just i just wanted that character to be like you know what fuck the norms that are expected of this. I'm just going to do this and I'm going to be a queer looking out for a queer. And Mm -hmm. I just, I really liked that flawed moment when it was helping other queer people. Yeah, I I did too. I thought it was cute. I wasn't at that point. I wasn't aware that Ruthie was going to be like a main character. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. like, uh, like, then Ruthie as the more and more we see Ruthie though, the more and more I'm just like Ruthie, like so many of these problems you're just really causing yourself girl like <laughs> like just her blatant disregard of Char's feelings all the time just lying so she could go hang out with Brody it made me so mad I was so mad at Ruthie <laughs> so many times I was constantly trying to forgive her but it's just like Ruthie you're just making these mistakes over and over again I don't understand and uh, I think Mike to your point though as the show progresses we're realizing that this is this show is not just about Brody yes it is very much about Ruthie and their I don't know. I think it's kind of a toxic relationship because I just don't think they're good for each other. Like, I personally, I don't know how you guys feel. They're what? both insufferable and they deserve each other. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was a great episode that involved dead naming. I think uh, that's the flashback episodes that involved terrible wigs. But yeah. I think they did this very creative thing of like uh, bleeping out anytime we heard Ruthie's dead name. Uh, for anyone, listeners who don't know, dead naming is the uh actually it's anyone you guys are probably better at explaining this i'm sorry <laughs> dead name is, is referring to a trans person by the name they were given at birth instead of the name that they chose when they transitioned thank you uh yes and so this is in this episode the flashbacks focus when they were in high school so as i mentioned they have terrible wigs but they are <laughs> you know they're playing high school students as like 30 year olds uh they're like in a relationship and we learned that they're in a relationship every time that her name is said before she transitioned, it's bleeped out. And I thought that was like, that was one of those strokes of genius that I think this show had. Uh, it was just like, oh, this is this is good. And then it, the dead name gets dropped again by Noah in the present. And, you know, it's like a big to-do moment. But this is like, you know, I think Ruthie was one of my favorite characters because I think, uh, flaws aside, I think she, she had some of the more interesting uh, uh, things visually going on on the show. I don't know how anyone else felt. You said visually? Um, yeah, I'm thinking from like uh, just the way her looks, 
yeah. the way every, I feel like every time the camera angled on her, there was always like a little bit of camera movement. So like she always had this very ethereal presence yes, on did. screen. Uh, so that's, that's just from a visual standpoint. Uh, I'm her storyline is I think some of the more because I her fight with Noah. I think she was absolutely justified to be mad at him, but she also did choose to stay at a party when she saw her students there. So it's just like, uh, you kind of made this also yourself, this mess. But uh, I don't know mean, why she got in trouble. <laughs> you, you mean you mean Brody, right? With Brody. I'm sorry. Did I, yeah, with Brody. Yeah. When she got in a fight with Brody, uh, it's because her students saw her at a party and then they took video of her. She got in trouble for that, which makes no sense because it's just like, it was a party. It's not like, and the kids were underage. So it's like, they should be the ones in trouble, not her. I don't know how that works out in New Orleans, so yeah, I don't like. Either. I don't know if it was hinted that maybe they're just looking for any excuse because she is trans, you know. Uh, that's just my thoughts. Let's move on to Mingus. So, Mingus. All right, so we've agreed that Brody and Ruthie can be insufferable. Does anyone else think that Br- Mingus is also insufferable, or is that just me? I just feel the problem with Mingus is that he has all the problems. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> Mm. All the problems. Um, it's like him exploring, like this, this, like the birth of drag is about to take, you know, it's taking place with him. You know, wanting to get into drag school. Then the shootout happens. Mm-hmm. You know, then that experience. Brody saves him, and then that experience and that connection. And and then it's like Brody rejects him, and now it's like I'm fucking everybody, and mm. now I have HIV. Yeah, spoiler. Mm-hmm. Sorry, guys, but <laughs> the the big character arc with Mingus at the end is that he tests positive for HIV, and I kind of agree with Eddie on this one. It's just like they're giving a lot of problems to this one character that I think you could just spread out over time. Yeah, in my opinion, uh, Mingus is not binary, right? So, so Mingus. Oh, them. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yes, you're right. <laughs> them. I, I I I had never seen a character like Mingus. Uh, before so mm-hmm. it's I think it was really cool to see them and and I, I had this negative initial reaction to seeing them both be uh, non-binary and also pursuing drag because mm-hmm. that I, I felt like for a show that had not just one they didn't just pick okay we're gonna have one person of color we're gonna have one person that's disabled they 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 had more than one person mm-hmm. to kind of tokenize. They didn't tokenize each person. They had multiple types of people um, that were represented. And so to have a character that was both non-binary and dealing with drag felt like they were conflating some some things with gender that I didn't mm-hmm. know necessarily uh, belonged. But, but you know, that aside, I, I, I like Mingus's character, their relationship with her mom, their... Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like some of the challenges they face, and um, and they're beautiful, which is frustrating. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they are. I, I think, again, another character, great screen presence. Uh, you mentioned their relationship with their mother, but I actually – that was one of the biggest, n- most nerve-wracking points for me in the show is that he – is they – they actually are so annoyed by their mother, played by Juliette Lewis, and it's just like, why, why, why do you feel so this way with your mom? Like she's so, she's so nice, she's so caring, she she wants to be there for you. You can wear her clothes, you can use her yeah. makeup, and they were, being a dick? and they were just kind of, they were just sometimes just mean to 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 Juliette Lewis's character. So, Mike, but isn't that how high schoolers are? Like that's, that's and it's true. Like it's it's all is that idea of like grass is greener, right? Like. Yeah. 
like, so, so I think also too, um, I, I don't know about you guys, but Rolando and I grew up with very strict mother yes. <laughs> kind of presence it's and a, always having to be kind of like, this is the way you act, you know, you can't, mm-hmm. you know, you can't act this way. You can't get out of line. So it's always this feeling. So when you see kind of these these depictions of mom where they're so open and they're just like, hey, you're expressing yourself. That's great. That's like, whoa, this is not my experience. Just not yeah. my experience at all. You know, mm-hmm. so it's just like, like, don't be a dick to that. Right. Yeah. 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 For me, that's what I'm thinking. That's what I'm thinking in my head. But Absolutely. this is the story. This is the character. This is a young person, <laughs> you know. So I guess one of my questions I have for this character is wouldn't a Zoomer uh, be really hip to Brody's toxicity? That was just my thought. I think that I actually really liked about this character that they were so head over heels, fucking insane borderline Mm -hmm. stalker about Brody because I think mm-hmm. that's how it works sometimes. I, I, I think yeah. that we can't really help who we're attracted to. And love makes people stupid. I, yeah. Like, yeah. nothing makes this somebody dumber than love. And and to, to see that done, I really I really enjoyed that. Again, in the, like, fucking, like, gave me the heebie-jeebies the whole time. I'm really, like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm creeped out by the whole thing. That's good art, in my opinion. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with you. And so, then, then there's uh, this, uh, this whole thing. The other thing that's wrapped around all this is the the traumatic moment that happens mm-hmm. at Babylon, mm-hmm. and how Brody ends up saving Mingus's life. Right. Yep. I think yeah. that was one of my favorite things about Mingus's character because that obsession that he feel that they feel towards Brody makes sense in this fact that like yeah Brody saved them from mm. this shooting, and of course you're gonna you're gonna create an instant. Bond. Latch a bond, bond that's yeah. just going to be unbreakable. That made sense. I just, I just think they, I don't know, like they, they, yeah, love just. I guess you're right. Love just makes you do crazy things because, like, at a certain point, I don't. I feel like I would have taken the hint that Brody's just not interested in me. You know? Yeah, just yeah. Your first love just it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I Yeah, I think it makes everyone... It doesn't matter who the other person is or what they do. There's something about it that just makes you so stupid. And and you can just forgive everything you thought. You, like you, It's almost like you have to be broken by that first mm-hmm. love so mm-hmm. that you can find those traits in the next one. And I think Mingus is going through that. Yeah, I would agree. And, you know, I, I said it's, I can't be judgmental of Brian from the 2000 show and, like, his his sexual promiscuity ending up with an older man. I guess when you guys put into perspective, Mingus being madly in love, love makes you do crazy things. You guys are right. You, you guys beat me on that one. Cause (laughs) (laughs) like like, I understand Mingus a little bit. I think he was insufferable too. Uh, How do you guys feel about his drag? I was insufferable and in love when I was in college. I forgave so many flaws and shitty (laughs) treatment and Yeah. How do you guys feel about Mingus's drag? Because they really focus a lot on the be- in the first episode and the final episode on the actual drag performances. What do you guys think of them from like maybe just a visual storytelling point of view? I I loved the drag. I thought it mm-hmm. was not um, an expected, not a kind of 
it was a new it felt like a newer wave of drag it felt like a newer interpretation it felt like it wasn't a classic blonde lady that had you know lots of eye makeup mm -hmm. and big lips and you know it, it just felt like a new way of doing it that i thought fit minx's in mm -hmm. spite of what i said fit minx's character mm -hmm. and what they were doing so i, I liked their I liked their performance. They were like, I don't know, tee hee, and then got on the stage and was like, they were, you know, great. Yeah. So, right, I right, know. right. I think I, the. Oh, go ahead. Mike. I, 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 I loved the craft, right? So Yes, like, exactly. Yeah, that, was, yeah, that, that was like that on was the like... tip of my tongue. It was just like, <laughs> you won me over. Yeah. I do. I do think the last, the the finale performance that we do get from Mingus, and maybe it was this penultimate episode, but the the drag that they do for the saving of Babylon or when they're trying to buy Babylon, I think that one might've been like, again, from a cinematic point of view, like this one's well shot. I think it was very, Mingus is an excellent performer. Uh, mm. The actor who plays Mingus, actually I should say his name. He is, they are played That's by really Finn Argus and they, they gave a top notch performance as Mingus, in and out of drag, like Mingus does. Mingus is absolutely very captivating uh, on screen. Mm -hmm. Move mm -hmm. on to Julian, who I think is the next major character that we do have. Uh, he is, he has cerebral palsy, mm -hmm. and uh, he you know he is our representation of a character with disabilities in the gay community. Not our only representation, right? Because we do have a second one, but he is the predom he is one of the main characters who has a disability. He played by Ryan O'Connell, who, as I mentioned, he is a writer for he wrote special that's on Netflix. He's also been a writer on like the Babysitters Club remake, uh reboot in Netflix, and uh, he did some of the Will and Grace reboot as well. Uh yeah. And uh I'm just gonna say this right off the bat. I think he married sued himself a little. I don't blame him. Right, but like he did write an episode where he gets to bang both now the Marco, who played an escort, and then he goes on to like bang Johnny Sibili, who plays Noah in that one episode, and I I just felt like it's just like a little transparent. I'm not going to call it out too hard because if I were in his shoes, I I would have done the same. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. Look, fucking write it down. If I'm in a position of power and I get to make it so that I get to make out with Nile DeMarco, it's fucking happening. Oh right? my god. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so true. I think part of the reason he didn't show up on my show on the show is because he may have seen my Instagram that got a few views, in uh, which I was just I, I I did like I was pretending like I'm writing the storyline. I'm just like uh, I was just saying it's just like I'm gonna fuck now the Marco and then I'm gonna <laughs> fuck Johnny Stabili and there's nothing anyone can do. I'm the writer. <laughs> this is my show now. <laughs> uh, so Ryan, if you're listening, I doubt, but you know, sorry. <laughs> Uh, I know no shade. I think it was you know I like I said I would have done the same thing. I do think the character Julian is one of my favorite characters on this show. So we find out that he's gay uh, early in the series uh, because he was cruising in in the mall bathrooms, and then he we find out that he has like this kind of uh, weird connection with sex because of his disability. And I think exploring that on TV, again, we've maybe we've seen it a little bit in, in special, but seeing it in this kind of show, in this kind of hypersexual context, I think was a little almost groundbreaking, in my opinion. I don't know how you guys felt. Hmm. Yeah? Yeah, no, I, I, I absolutely agree. It was it was something like, uh, I've never seen that before. Not, not in this, uh, not in this way. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, I thought uh, 
I, I thought it was handled really well, but I'm not a member of the dis- disabled community, so I, I don't That's know, true. you know, if, if I'm, I'm, I'm definitely not qualified to weigh in. Mm-hmm. Um, but like uh, Andrew Gerza, who's a, a friend of our show, uh, was one of the consultants on it, and he actually had a cameo. So and I know that they put a lot of thought into handling these issues well, exploring them in a real human way. Um, so, yeah, I, I found it super, super interesting. Yeah, you mentioned that on your podcast. Who was he in? Do you know who he was in the episode? I'm assuming it was in the fuck crippled people episode. Yeah, which yeah, is one, he, they have like a cripple. Like, well, that's I don't think that's a PC term, but uh, they have a people yeah. with disabilities sex party. Yep, yeah, uh, he's the wheelchair user that had the orange beanie on. That mm. uh, he's, okay, he's credited as cute boy. Yeah. Okay. okay. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, and even that episode I thought was interesting because me as a Abled body, gay person. I don't think about queer spaces and how hard it is sometimes for people with disabilities to just access them, right? Mm. Like, uh, even like, so. I'm thinking even here in so you know New York City is like right next to us. Uh, I mean a lot of those ba- a lot of those bars are all stairs. Like I don't know mm-hmm. how many have elevators, and uh, it's just something me as a you know i just don't think about and i think watching that on the show i i found interesting and we actually got a lot of that through the eyes of this one character named melvin who he is on he's in a wheelchair if i remember correctly right he has uh he's an amputee amputee and he ends up forming a relationship with a sex worker yeah uh how how do we feel about melvin's character what are your thoughts outside of outside of the great depiction of 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 uh, of disability and being queer, uh, how do we feel about Melvin as an actual character? Anyone have any ideas? I mean, the the yeah, the first episode was all about like just really highlighting the difficulty of accessing spaces, mm-hmm. LGBT spaces. I thought that was a really, it was one of those. It, it made sense as kind of the opening, like let's just let you know first and foremost that these spaces are not accessible just right. they're they're just not and i thought that was a a kind of great entry point and i and i liked that you know like i said like there 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 isn't just one character with disabilities they have multiple characters with disabilities mm-hmm. they're not just re- relying on Ryan yeah. McConnell to do all of it they had Andrew Gerza come in here and uh and uh consult so i liked that I like that they showed multiple angles of it. Yeah, I, one of the things I liked about Melvin was that he was kind of bitchy and kind of catty. But I love that about Melvin's character. It just—I don't know. It may—it it makes sense for a character who is on a wheelchair, right? Like you would be bitter about life, and that's—I don't think it's a wrong thing to pers- to to show that on screen. Like I don't think again, we don't have to show a sanitized version of life all the time on on TV. Well, I also think able-bodied or not, everybody has that friend who is super prickly, and it's mm-hmm. um, it's maybe a defense mechanism, and and who is so so catty and bitchy that you like you thank God that they're on your side, <laughs> or that you're you know yeah. uh, you, you 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 almost like you've accomplished something by getting on their good terms because they seem to hate everybody. Um, uh, I I I think that person exists in real life pretty mm-hmm. often. Yeah, I would agree on that one uh just to kind of wrap things up a little bit here uh what are your thoughts on the hypersexual scenes of this show right i think that's one of the things that made the original two queer folks kind of memorable is like their depiction of like 
gay sex. They weren't. They kind of were no holds bar. And I think Peacock's version here did the same thing. So how do we feel? What what are, what are your thoughts? Um, I mean, I I enjoyed myself. If that's what. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't describe any more detail of how you did that. Mike. <laughs> I mean, you in, in a in a redo of Queer as Folk, you got to make it super. If they, if they mm-hmm. they they did a lot of great things to evolve and show more diversity, but they got to make it. It's about sex. Like that's right. the original. Yes. They showed real issues and, and queer issues, but like, God, you, you got to show a ton of sex. And if you didn't, mm. what are you doing? And what are you remaking? You know? So uh, they had to, it, that's part of the, the purpose and the revolution of the original. I would agree. I think comparatively, I think some of the editing for the sex scenes was I would dare say more beautiful. Uh, one of the ones that does come to mind is the second episode. I think that's maybe second or third episode after they're all dealing with the trauma from the shooting at Babylon. There's a scene where they're all trying to masturbate. And mm. uh, I think from a camera point of view, they did an excellent job kind of showcasing the beauty that is masturbation, right? Self-love. Uh, and I mean, God, it helps that everyone is just gorgeous in this show you know what I mean? like, like ruthie's hot uh noah's uh noah's hot bro everyone everyone they're they're all hot right so uh and i think one of the other sex scenes that also comes to mind for me is the sex scene between melvin and the sex worker it was a very passionate sex scene again one i as far as i remember in media i don't think i've ever seen such an explicit it wasn't explicit but a a very real depiction of like sex between an amputee and a sex worker right like it it was almost raw to a point that i just wasn't expecting for for this show to go there uh eddie i mean in terms of the sex scenes like was it was i guess my question is like was this show is showing all this sex on media uh a good thing or a bad thing so Eddie, I'll let you go on that. I I'm all for it. Uh-huh. I tell you the truth, I'm all for it. Um, I thought uh, definitely um, you do have very you have great eye candy, um, and and yeah, some of these things are shot in a way that um, they're 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 beautiful. Some of them are raw. Some of them are just like very intense. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I definitely enjoyed it. I say let's keep it going. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, uh, I, I totally agree. Yeah, I, yeah. I also think that, like, especially compared to the first one, one of the biggest differences about this this time around is it has far less of the burden, the the percentage of gay representation that this represents in just our total media landscape. Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't have to take on the burden of being the gay show. There are That's lots true. of other shows. If you don't want sex, there are plenty of other shows that have something you're looking for. So. So mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be the only thing there. So it, it doesn't have to take on the every every queer person's burden and depiction. I'm actually glad you mentioned that because it is true. I, I was watching some message board where they were like kind of criticizing this show. It's not, you know, they were just saying it's just like, oh, it's not a good, it's such a shame thing because like we only get so many queer shows. But like the truth is, I think in, after the streaming revolution, we've gotten so much more queer programming and queer centric mm-hmm. pro I mean like, I mean I'm just thinking Love Victor just dropped like a month ago was a uh, Heartstopper right we're just and these are like obviously aimed at a younger audience but you know if you want your sweet 
saccharine stuff, you have shows like Heartstopper and Love, Victor. If you want something a little more edgy, you have now this one. You technically have also Euphoria. Let's be, you know, because that's another yeah. show that has like it's non-binary. Nother, yeah. yeah, that's a whole other level. Uh, but uh, and that's what I think my thing. I think from a sin, uh, from like a creative point of view, sometimes this show try to go there like Euphoria does. I think the problem is that sometimes I think the show didn't have. I don't know that cinematic quality, and that's just me being nitpicking as like as like oh you know uh, someone who just reviews a lot of stuff and study filmmaking. Yeah. Uh, but overall, I think the sex scenes were I think done pretty. I think they were handled very classy. Uh, I think one of the most interesting parts of one of the sex scenes was when we saw Shar and Ruthie engage in sex, and we saw uh, Ruthie's genitals. Right. So last instance that that comes to mind on TV was when uh, that show American Gods had a gay sex scene and they included seeing the bottom's genitals, right? So in here we have Ruthie, uh, I don't think she was, she was, I think she was, was she being, I don't know if she was being penetrated by Shara or if they were using a toy, but we just see Ruthie's genitals and they made a point of seeing uh, Ruthie's genitals. I thought that was an interesting choice. Uh, I don't know how anyone felt when they saw this. Like, did you, were you squeamish? Were you just like, oh good, right on, like show it. Like let's show what real sex is like. How, how did how did you guys feel? It, it was a cornucopia of feelings, and, and <laughs> yeah. you, you, you you said a lot of them. I mean, I don't I don't think that there has ever been a a trans woman's penis on screen in a positive mm-hmm. light. Like it, 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 there have been some like body shaming type things that I, I I've exp- I, I've seen, but like to to just show like here's a beautiful sex scene and here's this 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 trans woman's um, penis i think is is that's groundbreaking just for being first i'm pretty sure yeah um, i i would agree and, and it was hot it was a hot scene it was great mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> it was um so and the last thing i just want to say about this about all the sex scenes is like yeah it was all hot but like for a show that had so much diversity my one complaint is as a fat person just no fat people on this show. That's just, that was my one qualm I will say I had with this show. It's not like I'm not going to, I'm you know, I'm not going to protest the show because I, overall I did, I binged this show. So on some level I must've enjoyed it, but I'm just saying, you know, season two, give me, give me a fat person who, 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 who wants to engage in some like sex scenes. Uh, I'm thinking of like looking when they included season two, uh, Augustine's boyfriend, right? He was a heavy set guy, but he actually, I think he showed his penis and everything on, on things. And I think we need some more of that kind of representation on, on screen, in my opinion. Uh, because, you know, who doesn't like looking at beautiful people? Yeah. Well, I, I'd like to see somebody bigger who isn't um, just sassy or, or a drag queen. Cause I think okay. that, yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. that happens yeah. pretty often. Um, mm-hmm. And like, just a regular person who has a mm-hmm. bigger body would be good. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm just speaking from experience. It's just like I am fat. I have had sex. Like I'm not like, mm-hmm. like you know what I mean. And I enjoyed it, and, and people did enjoy it with me. Contrary <laughs> to the, what media would let you believe, you know. <laughs> um. Okay, so I guess let's just get to our feelings overall on this show, right? But hold on. Oh, oh, Kim, you know, you're gonna hope. Let's okay. not overlook that Kim Cattrall is on the show. Oh, I yeah. did overlook her. Kim Cattrall. And the fact that you did not recognize her the way. <laughs> I did. Yeah, it's very disappointing, oh. especially when you have a picture of her like right there yes. next to. <laughs> I have her as a missing persons poster for Sex in the City. 
Oh God. Uh, <laughs> um, no, it's true. So, so what are our feelings about that, Eddie? So Eddie, yes, Eddie's right. Eddie saw Kim Cattrall the first episode, and he's like, "Is that Kim Cattrall?" I was like, "No, that's not her. She has a huskier, sexier voice." And it took me a few episodes to realize, like, "Oh my God, it is Kim Cattrall. It's it's our queen. She's back. She's back on screen." Uh, yeah, I I like Brenda's character. How do you guys feel about her relationship at the end with uh, with Shar? Oh God. I, there are a lot of feelings there to unpack. I mean, this is the baby's grandmother. Yeah, uh, for starters. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, there's that. There's also like Shar was the pristine character that wasn't super deeply flawed, and I wanted her mm-hmm. to stay that way, or them yep. to stay that way. And and then and then and then when 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 they they fucked up or got tainted by behaving that way, I was really, I was really yeah. disappointed. But then also in a uncomfortable feelings make me happy about tv so <laughs> mm. yeah i just want to point out though for um two new parents yeah uh, twins they <laughs> seem to have a lot of time to do other things yeah <laughs> my experience with people with newborns is they have no time they're walking zombies and i'm just like i don't know how realistic is this one this sure. is yeah. rachel as a baby and friends and like it only shows yeah, up a couple times well, yes. <laughs> a season, you know, just when they need a storyline around a baby. Very, very similar to that for sure. Whenever the baby is going to pose, uh, the babies are going to pose a problem is when they yeah. when they show up on screen. Uh, I think to just to go back to Brenda and Shara's character, I think one of the things that upset me when they hooked up was just like I really was enjoying their friendship, and I really mm. would have loved for this to have stayed. There's something I think beautiful about seeing a black non-binary character being friends with a cis white woman from culture clashing, right? And just mm-hmm. bonding. And I think th- I-, I was enjoying that kind of storyline. Mm-hmm. And uh, when they decided to like, I'm going to say jump to shark a little on that one. Uh, mm-hmm. I-, I was a little disappointed. I'm just like, oh God, like I liked, I liked Char's character. Like Char was, as you said, one of the more redeemed, she was one of the characters who were like on the straight and narrow. And I think, it, it, yep. bummer. Yeah. Uh, which that that was the first one to jump to shark, but I think we hinted at a little, little Ruthie and Brody at the end of the sea uh, at the end of this first season, like they hook up, yeah. right? And uh, when that happened again, I kind of got this feeling of just like I don't, I don't know, I don't know if I want to like. I'm going to watch a season two. I will. <laughs> but, mm. like, I was, when they when their relationship happened, I'm just like, I just don't know how I feel about this. I, how did you guys, uh, you know, Mike, Eddie, like, how did, I was, I was just like, ugh, what's going on? Too many hookups. I just didn't believe it. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know if they just didn't sell it properly or if they yeah. didn't plant enough seeds. But, like, yeah. I, I, I didn't see it coming at all. And then hated it because then I I didn't I just didn't buy it I did they didn't yeah, they didn't yeah. they didn't earn that reveal yeah. in my opinion right yeah exactly yeah I would agree with you right I think this is I don't know I think they were maybe cramming I don't know if they were trying to like just hook us in for a season two yeah you know what I mean or but I think they could have built out this friendship like there's nothing wrong I don't know why writers always want to jump to relationships like there's nothing wrong with just being platonic friends on in media you know what i mean like it's i understand the show is very hypersexual but like 
we can still have them be friends. There's, there's nothing wrong with that also. Like, I think that was one of the positive things about seeing the original queer as folk. Well, not the original, the, 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 the Showtime American one version. is seeing yeah. gay friendships that sure we have crushes on one another. That happens, you know, but like for the most part, like they were all platonic friends, I would say. Right. I'm not wrong about that. Yeah. I know that. I mean, Mike they all end up, up hook, Emmett hooked up with, um, Ted. Ted. You're right. With Ted. 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 Mike made out with, uh, with, Brian. with Brian. Yeah, but, but that was always their thing. And they were like, so he was also on that, drugs. That was like, <laughs> so, yeah, it's, that was, that was mostly like, platonic. Like, this yeah, was mostly. Brody professing his love to Ruthie. That's the big issue. It was like this deep love Which that I he had. Which I feel only because he saw what was going on with his mother and Shar. Like, when yeah. he saw that, when he's like, mm. he, ha- he has this information now, then I felt like, are you. Are you using that as your courage to tell Ruthie how you feel? Mm. Yeah. So I just felt like, I don't know. It's just like this could have, that's one season. I felt like they just threw everything in the kitchen sink at it. <laughs> Let's see what six. You know, and yeah. I was uh, just like slow. I, I, I like even Julian and Noah's relationship. Um, There were moments like, uh, I don't know how I feel like, uh, I think I said if this was like a slow burn relationship, like a Rachel and Ross, like a build up, mm-hmm. like they're living together. You know, Noah's going through his stuff. He lost Thaddeus, uh, which was an awesome name. Um, <laughs> and, you know, he just he, he lost that. He's dealing with like Brody coming back. He has all this shit that he's dealing with. And then there comes Julian, who becomes like a friend, a rock. And then it was like the slow build up of attraction. I definitely would have enjoyed to see that because I love both these characters, but they really, wow. It was just like, okay, we're hitting this. Yeah. Yeah. They, they this. Kind of, a lot of the show was just hit the ground running. And I don't know if that's like a symptom of like streaming or kind of like just weak writing to be quite honest, but I don't know. I guess this show is one of these things where I think it had such a strong premise, like the aftermath of a shooting sounds like absolutely something that would be made for like an Emmy sweep, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I cannot say that this is an Emmy worthy show. Not that the Emmys matter, but I, what I'm trying to say is like, this is this show doesn't feel prestigious, right? Like the show kind of at the end of the day felt a little bit like generic for me. Uh, and it's, it's a shame because I think it had such a strong premise. It just had like a little bit of a wonky execution. Most of that is honestly because of the writing around the characters and some of the performances, specifically Brody, in my opinion. Um, with that said, though, like I said, I'll, I'll still watch a season two. Like, oh, I, 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 I'm not. <laughs> this is. Uh, you guys said this. I'm quoting you guys where you got uh, where Mike, you said this was a net positive for the queer community. And I think you're 100 percent right about that. I think. <laughs> the steps forward that this took for for queer representation matter. Yeah, you know it sucks that I'm like kind of still disappointed with the show, but I will still watch the season two. I will still support, mostly because yeah. like you know I candy alone. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But I don't know how you guys feel. Like uh, you know, is the show good, Eddie? Do you think the show is good? Uh, it's funny because like I've seen it and I had my reactions to it, and then like take taking a step back from it and listening to you guys and your opinions and you you know. I, there's certain things that I appreciate a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Get an opportunity to reflect on. I'm definitely happy uh, in the sense of that there are people like me on this show. You know, uh, Latino, mm-hmm. gay, uh, complication, complicated relationship with parents. You know yeah. that you know the, you know you see these things. Um, 
so I definitely would want to see more. I, I, I really feel like, hey, just you threw a lot of stuff out there first season. Let's un let's spend season two unpacking all that stuff and really exploring mm-hmm. too, I think would be I think would be quite beneficial for yeah. the characters, see character development and and, and, and give us the opportunity to uh, for us to fall in love or deeper in love with these characters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike, Kyle, I don't know how you guys feel. Like, wh- how would you classify the show? A good show? Bad show? Trashy? Fun? I don't know. <laughs> all of those things. You said you said so many adjectives, <laughs> and I think that they all apply. And 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 you you, you already you, you already quoted me. I think when I when I place when I place everything on the on the scale, this ends up being a a net positive show. I I really. I enjoyed it. I liked how deeply uncomfortable it made me in places. Mm-hmm. I, I liked how flawed the characters were and I, I liked the pacing. I just I, I really I, I think I think it's it's a good show and, and, and net positive for the community and I'll definitely watch season two. Yeah. I, I think this is a good example for how to create a show uh, a, a queer show because it used queer people to create it. They they had um they did not rely on one person or one consultant to represent every single person. Mm-hmm. Um, characters were fully fleshed out and flawed. They even the 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 issues of the trauma. They had someone from that experienced Pulse come in and talk to them, and they had they they had like they really? they had a lot of people behind the scenes that were consulting oh. and working with the cast and crew and 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 everyone everyone at least that I've seen was queer. So I think yeah. they're a model for how you if you're doing complex things with and bringing a diverse cast, you do it in front of and behind the camera. And, Mm -hmm. and I, I, so I I think they're representing a new model for how we should make queer shows. Kyle, you are 1 million percent correct on this actually, because oftentimes when we get queer representation in media, it's usually, uh, being told by like cis straight men right Mm -hmm. at least what they think we want to see you're right like this is a story this is like whole like a lot of the production crew behind the scenes was queer i think they went out of their way to cast like actual lgbtq castmates right Mm -hmm. so you know like when it you're right like 100 percent true it's just like i this is a work of art created by our community for our community and my critiques of the show aside, I still think, yeah, it's just like this was still a worthy endeavor. And I think it is definitely worth the watch uh, overall. Um, do you guys think as a remake or a reboot, this was needed? How do you guys feel about that? Uh, I mean, Peacock is remaking everything. So if they're, ma- if they're, if, if they're remaking everything, why not this one too? Yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is my opinion, but remakes, I, uh, they're just, uh, we're remaking everything to draw you into our, our unique streaming platform that now you can go see that thing you loved and, and mm-hmm. get our streaming service. I don't think, I think most remakes that are made are not needed. I don't think we mm-hmm. need most of them. I don't think people are creative in remaking them. I think they, I don't know. I, I, I have a, <laughs> I have a, uh, a bad association with most of the remakes that happened. This one tried to create something new and evolve from the original. So I like that. I, I appreciate mm-hmm. that they, they did that. Um, you know, Kim Cattrall made a right decision instead of going for, and just like that. Just then like again, that she, this. then again, she was also in how I met your father, which was a very unfortunate. <gasps> remake. Was she like, really? 
she's the she's the mother oh uh, i didn't know that boy it's rough i really <laughs> i i wanted so many good things for hillary uh and duff and clinton i guess but hillary duff um and it just boy i stopped i, w- I wanted to love it but i didn't anyway so i'm so glad kim control got a little bit of good goodness somewhere uh-huh. and but i don't know on the scale of remakes, maybe on the better end, but I still dislike remakes as a concept. Yeah, you, you you're sounding a lot like our our usual co-host Nicole. She <laughs> feels usually the same way. Uh, it's funny we actually considered covering How I Met Your Father. However, the reviews are so terrible for them. We were just like, let's make this one. <laughs> uh, it's rough going. Not, not the case with this show. Queer as Folk has a solid eighty percent rating on the on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. The audience score, though, is divisive. It's forty nine percent, which I understand. I think a little. I think, I think we can do a little better. But I think overall, I don't know if this remake was needed by name. I actually do think this proper this show would be maybe a little bit more successful if it didn't have the connection with Queer as Folk, and I and it was like its own property, right? Where now I'm not judging it based on the past. I'm judging it on like this new piece of art. Uh, that is mostly my feeling on this show. I don't think it needed to be a queer as folk show. I think this show would have been absolutely fine just being an original show. Uh, yeah. Eddie, how do you feel? Do you think this remake was needed? Uh, you know, I hate that question. I know you do, but Nicole's question. not here, so <laughs> you got to answer. <laughs> I hate that question because I feel like nothing is needed when it's it comes true. to this stuff. Uh, I definitely feel um, it has a potential. I'm excited mm-hmm. about... What what what's it gonna do next? You know what they're gonna develop next. Um, I I what I think is needed is a representation. Uh, what what I think is needed is you know kind of like the story about our lives, um, and all its its spectrums, um, c- kind of sh- showcase and, and shown, you know, in these in these stories. Yeah. So. Filming in New Orleans also did make the show for me a little because I, I love the town. So I've been so many times and I just love being it's like, oh, I know where that is. I kind of know where that is. I think I might know where that is. But yep, yep, yep. Uh, what about you guys, our listeners? Have you guys seen the new Queers Folk? What are your thoughts? Let us know. Hit us up on Instagram. Our Instagram <coughs> is Remakes, Reboots, Revivals. You can also hit us up on Facebook slash Remakes, Reboots, Revivals. Give us an email. Our email is Remakes, Reboots, Revivals at gmail.com. We also have a hotline where you guys can leave us messages. We love to hear from y'all. Our number is 862-248-2326. And uh, you know what? While you're following us, be sure to show some love to our guests today. Guys, how can people find you? Sure. Gayish is a weekly show about a gay stereotype each week. Uh, episodes come out on Thursdays everywhere. We're on gayishpodcast.com, and we're Gayish Podcast on all social media. Uh, once again, guys, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, Truly, I... I'm a fan of your show, so like <laughs> having you guys, I was like, dream come true, right? Because I think you guys are, well, you know, I I, you, you, I read your uh, your blurb and all the successes you guys have had. So to uh, be, it's truly an honor to have you guys on our show. Uh, thanks so Thank much you. for having us. Yeah, thanks yes. for inviting us. And uh, guys, that is our closeout to Pride 2022. Please live your life out proud if possible, especially after the Roe v. Wade decision, because like, I think now more than ever, like we're seeing some of our rights kind of uh, on the brink potentially, right? So like we just want to make sure, just be loud, be proud. Uh, if you can be, I understand sometimes you just can't, but if you can, go please go for it and uh, please, please 
uh, reach out to your representatives, go out and vote, do anything you can. We have to, we have to win back the Supreme Court. Uh, I know this isn't a political podcast, but I'd be remiss if I didn't share my true feelings, guys. Mm. So, uh, with that said, until next time, stay, stay unoriginal. unoriginal.